Welcome to the Power in Motion podcast, the show for women who want to develop a kinder relationship with their body so you can feel healthy, happy, and confident without restricting food, doing torturous exercise, or constantly worrying about the number on the scale. I'm your host, Kim Hagel, size inclusive fitness specialist and certified non diet health and life coach specializing in body image. This podcast is here to provide weight neutral, health at every size aligned information and coaching on sustainable habits and mindset shifts so you can feel your very best in the body you have right now. Let's lace up our runners and go for a walk while we chat. Well, hey there, friend. How's it going today? Welcome to the Joyful Movement Show. Talking about exercise and mental health today. And if you're new here, I'm Kim Hagel, personal trainer, registered holistic nutritionist and founder of Radiant Vitality Wellness. And I'm on a mission to help women heal their exercise mindset and discover joyful movement. I truly believe that movement is a need we all have regardless of our body's size, shape or ability, and that movement can and should be fun and enjoyable. But let's face it, it's just not that easy for most of us. Diet culture and the pervasive messaging that the point of exercise is just to lose weight really is a major roadblock to joyful movement. In my nine years as a personal trainer, I have seen so many examples of women being stuck on the start-stop cycle with exercise, struggling to find motivation, and it's often stemming from insecurities or inacceptance of their body or beliefs that exercise needs to look a certain way to be right. I say that in air quotes. And that's why I do what I do, because I just think it's so sad when people are missing out on all the amazing benefits that movement can have on our physical health, but also our emotional and mental health as well. So with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I thought it would be fitting to chat about the effects that movement can have on our mental well-being. I'm sure you've heard about the many benefits of physical activity on our mental health, and they're often touted as a reason to get active. We'll touch on those today, absolutely. But what's not often talked about are the ways that exercise or fitness programs can actually be detrimental to mental health. I think it's very important to acknowledge both sides of the coin here and shed light on the lived experience of many folks who have had a disordered or traumatic relationship with exercise, one which can cause or exacerbate mental health conditions. I think as fitness professionals, we need to be very aware of how our environments, language, and behavior can affect people. So if you are a fit pro, this is an important episode to listen to, but I've also got some strategies for those who have experienced exercise as a detriment to your mental well-being. So this episode is for you too. And for those in the middle, just wondering how movement can help you let off a little steam, this episode's for you too. So let's make a quick but important distinction here with our language. I just want to clarify some terminology or what I specifically mean when I use certain words. Mental health and mental illness are often used interchangeably as if they mean the same thing, but they don't. Everyone has mental health, just like everyone has health. As the World Health Organization says, 
There is no health without mental health. In the course of our lifetime, not all people will experience a mental illness, but everyone will struggle or have a challenge at some point or another with their mental well-being. Just as we can struggle with our physical well-being from time to time, and that doesn't necessarily mean we are sick or ill. Or conversely, we can have a chronic physical illness and still thrive or have good physical well-being. Health is a spectrum and means different things to different people. And mental health is no different. We can have a mental illness, but still have good mental well-being. So when I talk about mental health, I'm talking about our mental well-being, our emotions, our thoughts and feelings, our ability to solve problems and overcome difficulties, our social connections, and our understanding of the world around us. Now, with that in mind, I'm sure it's no secret to most of you that movement can have a positive effect on your mental well-being. Perhaps you've experienced some of these yourself at various points in your life. Here are just a few of the ways that movement can benefit your mental health. Number one, stress reduction. Movement helps us process our emotions. When we move our body, it helps to relieve the uncomfortable physical sensations that come up with intense emotions, thereby lowering their intensity. Number two, movement can help us have clearer thoughts and improve our memory. As a result of moving our emotions through and also from the endorphin release that comes from movement, we're able to think more clearly. What was once a big overwhelming problem suddenly will seem more manageable. Number three, better sleep at night. Movement helps you wind down more easily and to get a deeper sleep, which of course is very important for our mental well-being. Number four, movement allows and fosters connections with other people. Lots of folks choose to work out or move independently and are alone, but for those who enjoy group activities, having a shared interest and goal helps foster friendships and feelings of support and togetherness, thereby reducing isolation. Number five, movement helps you learn more about yourself. As you move your body, you learn what feels good for you, what you enjoy. You learn what you're capable of and how it feels to challenge yourself on your terms. So it helps you connect to yourself. Number six, movement helps reduce your likelihood of physical health issues. And of course, exercise has many physical health benefits and our mental health and physical health are deeply intertwined. If we're living in pain or discomfort or dealing with a chronic illness, that will have an impact on our mental well-being. Conversely, if we feel overall well physically, that will help our mental state. So these are all good things. Now, if you're someone who experiences mild to moderate symptoms of depression or anxiety, then exercise can also be a really useful part of your treatment plan. Many studies have shown that moderate physical activity can help lessen symptoms of depression and anxiety. But it's important to note that movement isn't a cure-all. How many times have you heard someone say, exercise is my therapy? I think it's a pretty common misconception or maybe selling point even from the fitness industry that exercise is beneficial for mental health, and we have to be really careful about that. First of all, it's absolutely not a substitute for therapy. While it's beneficial, 
it doesn't take the place of a qualified professional who can help you process, work through, and recover, nor is it a substitute for medication for those who need it. That's where I think using exercise as therapy, even though it's said kind of tongue-in-cheek, can be a bit of a slippery slope, and it really boils down to our relationship with exercise. Like anything in life, too much of a good thing is not a good thing, and there comes a point where exercise may also result in detrimental changes to your mental health. Some individuals can become overly dependent on physical activity and exercise to an excessive degree. Let me give you some examples, uh, such as an athlete who's involved in intense training, such as endurance athletes or bodybuilders. As they push hard towards a goal, they can end up in an overtraining situation that can result in mood disturbances, feelings of irritability, sleep disruption, and even physical injury, which would negatively affect one's mental well-being. Another example would be the person who is exercising excessively to try to lose weight putting in long, strenuous hours at the gym, putting their body through rigorous workouts, while likely also restricting food, and often tracking both and using one to earn or burn the other. In both cases, this type of exercise behavior crosses way over the line of intuitive, joyful movement. This is classic disordered exercise behavior rooted in obsession and thoughts of body and acceptance or tying one's worth to their athletic accolades or their body size. And this abuse of exercise can result in disturbances in mood and worsened physical health. I'm not sure if you can relate to ever feeling this way, but I certainly can. And it's a tricky, slippery slope in the sense that sometimes the movement still feels good in some way. Like there's still that endorphin rush you feel in the moment and it can make it seem like you're doing the right thing and you're proud of your hard work, but it trickles over into everyday life and can start to look like irritability, anxiety, obsessive thoughts about food and your workouts, obsessively weighing, tracking, feeling depressed, especially if you're not getting the results you desire. So we have to be mindful and aware of our thoughts and feelings about exercise and our body and how that influences our actions. And then what is the result of our actions? If we're exercising to try to change our body so we can reach a place of self-acceptance, but find ourselves miserable and hating ourselves more, that's a big red flag. And there's another really important thing we need to discuss, which is directly damaging to the mental health of people in larger bodies within fitness environments, and that is weight stigma. What is weight stigma? Well, essentially, it's discrimination or stereotyping because of a person's weight. It's where we make assumptions about a person's health status, athletic ability, drive, and determination based solely on the size of their body. And how can that show up in the fitness industry? Well, it can look like 
pulling out BMI charts and telling people what a healthy quote weight is and making assumptions that the person is unhealthy if they're not within that range. It's telling them what's required of them in terms of working out and eating to get to that quote healthy weight without any knowledge or regard for their current state of health or their capacity and desire to change. It can look like taking before and after pictures or taking a person's weight and measurements, even if they've said that weight loss isn't their goal. It can look like asking a person how healthy their diet is and equating healthy with counting calories or macros. It's using cues such as burning off your weekend or go earn your pizza, sculpt this, tone that, burn fat, torch calories, no pain, no gain. It can look like shaming people for taking a modification, yelling at them to work harder, questioning their commitment if they don't, and guilting them if they miss a day at the gym. It can look like images on the walls or marketing of the facility only showing thin, fit bodies. It can even look like tight physical spaces that make it difficult for someone in a large body to move around. And can I just say this isn't good for any client, but it causes significant harm to those in larger bodies. Research indicates that people who are in larger bodies who are the victims of weight stigma are at an increased risk for adverse psychological outcomes, including depression, anxiety, negative body image, reduced self-esteem, and suicidality. In addition, exposure to weight stigma may promote unhealthy behaviors such as binge eating, increased caloric consumption, or reluctance to diet, or unhealthy weight loss efforts including juice cleanses and laxative misuse. When people experience weight stigma, it not surprisingly impacts their motivation, resulting in lower exercise self-efficacy, intention to exercise, and perceived exercise competence. For many, the experience of weight stigma is also associated with avoidance of exercise altogether. As fitness professionals, we must acknowledge then that when we practice from a weight-centric model, not only are we setting our clients up to struggle with motivation, we are doing harm. I know that as fitness professionals, we care deeply about people and we want to help our clients live their healthiest life. I know our intentions are good. But when we engage in this kind of behavior, it causes our clients to think, consciously or subconsciously, I am less of a person because of my weight. The only way to find acceptance in this world is to be thin. Weight stigma in fitness causes people to have a disordered relationship with exercise, which can either look like obsession, trying to do all the things right to lose the weight, going into overtraining and out of tune with their body, or they just quit. Either way, we're not providing them with the tools to have a consistent, sustainable, enjoyable relationship with exercise. As such, we are putting their mental and physical health at further risk. Neither over-exercising nor avoidance of exercise help to improve a person's physical or mental health. And when exercise is tied to feelings of guilt and shame rooted in beliefs about our own worthiness and values, the mental health consequences are severe and potentially even traumatic. 
So if you are a fit pro listening to this, I really want you to take an honest look at your messaging and your practices or those of your workplace. Consider how inclusive you or your gym feels to a person in a larger body. Perhaps look at your retention rates or people's compliance with your programming. Look at your so-called success stories. How many have kept the weight off or remained consistent with their workouts and nutrition programs? If you are truly committed to helping people live their healthiest life, you need to look at how you can support people of all sizes to engage in consistent, sustainable habits. That starts by being inclusive and non-judgmental with your language and marketing. Using weight-neutral, strength-based cueing and empowering people with tools for growth. Teaching them how to chase health at any size. Respect and honor their personal choices and celebrate their dedication and successes without mentioning weight. And this goes for all your participants. So on this note, if you are a fitness professional looking to adopt a weight-inclusive non-diet approach in your practice, I highly encourage you to check out the resources in the show notes of this episode. I've linked to my mentor, Stephanie Doje, who has all kinds of webinars, podcast episodes, and resources to help wellness professionals adopt a non-diet approach. And she also offers a professional mentorship program, which is where I did my non-diet training. Okay, so for the listeners who are looking to have a healthy relationship with movement, here are some strategies to implement so that your movement practice can remain supportive of good mental health. Number one, disconnect your movement from weight loss goals. It's okay to still have the desire to lose weight. That is a hard one to let go of if you've been holding on to it for a long time. But make the conscious decision to focus on movement as an act of self-care, not punishment. Weight loss isn't a motivating goal, and focusing on what you don't like about yourself is a surefire way to make sure you hate the activities involved. Number two, say no to anything that doesn't feel good. Challenging yourself is okay, but remain respectful to your own physical, mental, and emotional needs. If it feels bad for any reason, don't do it. Consciously choose to move how you want, when you want, and because you want. Which leads into number three, which is to become the boss of your own body. Reject the rules that say you have to do anything. No trainer or expert knows your body better than you, and you don't have to do what they say. Number four, set your own goals that light you up. Try out new ways to move, get outdoors, and play. Consciously ask yourself, how do I want to feel today, and how can I move my body or rest to get closer to that desired feeling? Number five is to seek out safe fitness environments. Find a non-diet, weight-inclusive fitness class or trainer. In episode 28, I gave some tips on what to look for in a non-diet fitness facility. And number six is if you see weight stigma or diet culture messaging in a fitness facility, I encourage you to speak up, even if you're not directly affected by it. I think we all need to do our part and advocate to make fitness accessible to all. It's important to shine the light on how damaging this type of messaging is, and we can share how we feel in polite, constructive ways to bring about some much-needed change. All right, friend. 
Well, that's it for today. I think I have given you lots to think about. Hopefully this episode has helped to open your mind so that you can reflect on your own relationship to movement, whether you're a professional or a consumer, and think of ways that you can engage with movement that's supportive to your mental well-being. I always love to hear how my message lands, so feel free to reach out with a DM through my social channels or an email through my website. And if this episode resonated with you, I'd love if you'd spread the word by sharing it. I'll see you back here next week when we'll be talking about what success or progress looks like when you're moving in a non-diet intuitive way. Until then, friend, thank you so much for being part of this community. I am so grateful for you. Remember that you can stay connected with me on Instagram or Facebook at Radiant Vitality Wellness. And you can always learn more about how to work with me on my website, www.radiantvitality.ca. Be well, my friends, and here is to your Radiant Vitality. Thanks for tuning into the Power in Motion podcast today. If you love what you're learning here, then I invite you to take the next step of embodying these concepts into your own life so that you can live your healthiest, happiest life and never again feel held back by your body. Coaching is the fastest, most efficient pathway to taking what you know in your head to actually applying it and seeing results. Whether you're looking to make changes around movement, food, body image, or all three, I'm here to help you nurture a kind, respectful, and trusting relationship with your body so you can feel your very best. Click the link in the show notes to book a free consultation, and together we'll uncover what's getting in the way of you having the results you want. You'll leave this call knowing exactly what you need to work on, and together we'll explore whether one of my coaching offers is a good fit for you. I can't wait to meet you.